0: Now, when we were looking at the beginning of chapter two, we've taken a couple weeks, I think, in chapter two. Did we take a couple of weeks? I think we did, beginning of chapter two. And, and so what we saw was Paul was bouncing between these pronouns where he would be speaking at times saying you, speaking of the Gentiles, and then other times he would be saying we, you know, you were once walking according to the course of the world, but then he'd say, we all, and bringing himself along with his fellow Jews together. And so he's bouncing between these pronouns, speaking of these two different kinds of, of people. Well now, Paul makes this clear for us and takes us down memory lane again to remind us of the separation and the division that was in place between the Jews and the Gentiles before Christ and that was still having to kind of be worked through within the early church that Paul is writing to. Now when Paul says that the Gentiles were uncircumcision, or called the uncircumcision, understand that that was a, a real term of derision. This is not just some kind of friendly way to identify you know, sort of ethnic or, or national kind of ties. This was a, a, a very strong term uh, of derision. That was not just, or this is not just the Jews, Calling them out for not having some medical procedure done that they all had done. This was saying, this was a real ethnic derogatory slur. And, and so much so that the Jews, I mean, there was just, understand, for centuries, there had been just great hostility between these two groups, Jews and Gentiles. Now, just for those of you that might be new to these terms, understand that the Jews are the people that God called to be a nation. and We're gonna talk a bit about that. The Gentiles were just, Anybody that wasn't a Jew. So if you're not a Jew today, guess what? You're a Gentile. Don't be looking down at these these people saying, yeah, these Gentiles, they were pagan people. My goodness, what a wicked bunch. Hey, you were one of them. Let's hope you were one of them and things have changed now as we'll see as we move along here. But that's the, the idea here. The Jews looked at the Gentiles simply. Their existence was only for Fanning the flames of hell This is how they looked at the Gentiles They would call them dogs Again just a very strong term And they looked at the Gentiles As those that had They weren't in covenant with God There was no law to govern their behavior There was no coming Messiah or kingdom hope As we'll see as we move through these verses here This is how the Jews looked at the Gentiles And so they're kind of going You guys are so far gone you're only here to just keep the fires of hell going, really. You're just so completely far, far away. So much so that if a Jewish son or Jewish daughter was going to be married to a Gentile, the family of that Jewish child would hold a funeral rather than a wedding. I mean, that's kind of the extent to what it did. The, the daughter or the son ceased to exist in their eyes if that was the case. So understand, I mean, as Paul is writing these things that we're gonna look at here, there was this great hatred and hostility between these two groups. And then Paul referred to the Jews as the circumcision. These are the people that were called of God to be the nation by which he would bring the Messiah, the Savior, the world through. Now, a lot of people look at this and go, well, how come God favor the Jews and not the Gentiles? No, that's not the case. God called the Jews to be a nation that would be set apart for him keep them in this covenant uh, relationship with him and the law, but as to protect them because they were the ones that would bring the Messiah into the world that would then bless all the nations. That would be the, uh, the, the hope for the whole world. But you see, the Jews, instead of looking at themselves as just set apart for God, they looked at themselves as set above Everybody else. And they looked down upon everybody as though they were the only special ones. They were the ones that were brought into a right relationship with God. All the rest of the world, ah, sorry for you, man. You've been left out. And they looked down upon everybody and that was not to be the case. They were to be the light to the rest of the nations, but instead they kept them in the dark. And so Paul makes this definition here. Notice he says that you are called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. What Paul gets at here is he says, this work has really been one that's just kind of been an external one. It's just been something that's been done with hands in the flesh. It was just an outward work that they were ultimately trusting in. And you see, the circumcision was meant to go deeper than just an outward sign of the covenant. It was to be an internal work that God wanted to do in their hearts in cutting away the old man, the flesh, and give them a new heart that served him and followed him. But they didn't get that far. The New Testament talks about that the circumcision was not just outwardly, it was to be that of the heart. And so they missed that part. You see, it's easy. Anyone can try and make themselves look holy, you know, chop off this, cut back that, and outwardly, you might look very religious. I, for a, a big part of my life, identified or defined my holiness by what I didn't do. I'd walk around and feel so righteous because I don't do that. You go to movies? Oh, I don't, I don't go to movies you did. that, you listen to that music, I don't listen. And my, my life, my holiness would kind of be defined by what I didn't do, but God has never said, come to me and stop doing this. He said, come to me and this is how you are to be now, this is how you're to live. It's to be something that we are demonstrating a new life that is full of good works and fruitfulness rather than just not doing something, cutting away this, chopping off that. And that's what these Jews were doing. That's what we oftentimes do when we begin to think that our outward works are gonna make us more right with God. And so Paul is calling them out on it. This was, you're called a circumcision, but it's just in the flesh made by hands. So the point is that they both needed help, both groups, Gentiles and Jews. But Paul, first of all here, kind of focuses on the Gentile position before Christ. Look at what Paul calls out here now. He says, first of all, you were without Christ. Plain and simple. See, the Gentiles... We're not living at all with any kind of expectancy of a savior coming and bringing them hope, providing newness of life. They were just sort of living life like, "What's the purpose? What's the aim? What's the goal?" They they got nothing that they're shooting for because they're without Christ. There's no hope of a of a of a Messiah, a savior that's going to come and change everything. So they're without Christ. But secondly, they were aliens from the Commonwealth of Israel that word commonwealth is the Greek word politia. Politia, where we get our word politics, and this, however, speaks more of just a socio-political group, but rather a socio-religious group, and of course, the Jews saw this as just operating hand in hand. Our our politics, our religion, our, our identities all just wrapped up together in a sense, and the Gentiles said they were just like on the outside looking in. They were aliens, meaning they were just kind of foreigners to these things, they didn't didn't belong. They didn't know the blessing of being a citizen in the camp of God. Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Thirdly, they were strangers from the covenants of promise. See, God had established various covenants with Israel, so, and in doing so, primarily, he did it through, well, Abraham, Moses, David, and in doing this, he was establishing again his promises with them, the work that he was going to do And that work was going to assure the nation of giving them a land. It was going to uh, bring them a, a national existence. And then again, the hope of an eternal king. These are the covenants that God had laid out along with all the spiritual blessings that go along with it. But see, this was completely, again, foreign to the Gentiles because they were foreigners or strangers to these promises. This is something that was just not a part of who they were, what they'd been brought up in as the Jews were. And having no hope, it was just a hopeless existence for the Gentiles. They, again, like what is this all about? What do we, we ultimately are living for? And they were without God. Paul uses the Greek word atheos here where we get our word atheist, without God. And it's not that these Gentiles were atheists because They worshiped false gods. They didn't say, oh, we don't believe in the existence of God. No, they they worshiped false gods. The problem is they didn't know the one true God. So they were without God, hopeless, strangers, looking at the many blessings around them, yet never able to fully grasp and attain them to themselves. This is the, the boat that the Gentiles were in. But then look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Here's another huge but in the Bible, don't you love that? We saw that in Ephesians two verse four, right? But God, who is rich in mercy now again, this huge but that just changes everything for us. Right when things look like it's a lost cause, when there's no hope but now. Jesus Christ comes in and he changes everything. And it's all through what Jesus did for us. We were the outcast, the despised, the weak and broken. But because of Jesus, we've been brought near. Think about that. To be brought near. I get the picture of like those that, you know, go to a, A major league baseball game. They don't have money to buy tickets, so they sit on the on on the outside of the outfield wall, and they're hoping just to get a glimpse of the action. Right? People up there, you know, trying to look over. What's happening? What's going on in the game? Right? For me, it's like a lost cause. I'm like, just find me an eye hole that I can peep through. Right? About four foot level mark, and I'll be good. Right? But I'm out of luck. I'm on the outside. I'm trying to get a glimpse of what's going on, what's happening inside. You know. And actually, this happened one time for us where. I went to uh Vancouver Grizzlies game. Remember the Grizzlies when they were Yeah, actually happened. I know. It's sad that they're not here any longer. But so my friend and I, pastor friend, uh, Pastor Ken and I went to a game and we said, let's just buy cheap tickets up in the nosebleeds, you know, far off, and then we'll maybe be able to move down into a Empty seat because there were a lot of empty seats back when the Grizzlies were playing, right? And so we bought cheap tickets for up in those seats. So we're walking around the concourse um, and thinking, maybe we can try to slip into a seat that's a little bit closer. And suddenly somebody stopped us and said, Hey, where are, your, where are your tickets? Where are you guys sitting? And I thought, Why? Are you trying? To, we're not doing anything wrong. Are you trying to bust? It? I'm like getting a little bit panicky. And then she goes, Do you want some tickets on the floor? And we're like, Yeah. Are you kidding me? And so she brought us down right. To the floor, we were front row at an NBA game. I mean, like sweat is like flowing on us and guys are like jumping over us. It was great, loved it, right? But we were brought near when we were once far, far away, right? Some are brought near right into the action. This is what what Jesus has done. He's like, "Uh, you were on the outside looking in, but I wanna bring you near right to the action where you're not just looking at what this life is like, but now you're experiencing what this life is like in and through me. And it's all been made possible through the blood of Christ. Now again, we looked at that word in chapter one, and that, that idea, that concept, blood of Christ, we use it in Christian terms. For the Christian, it's something we're familiar with, but for the non-Christian, they might be listening to that going, blood of Christ, why are you guys talking about the blood of Christ? It sounds so weird. It sounds so so odd, and it might be very foreign, but what do we mean by this? Well, the implication is that the only way for somebody to, brought near, to be brought near, not just to the things of God, but to God himself, it was through the atoning sacrifice. See, all through the Old Testament, we saw sacrifice after sacrifice. And, and it was the, the, the life that had to be sacrificed for us to come near to God, for sin to be atoned. But all those sacrifices never were sufficient. They were all simply pointing to the one sacrifice that Jesus would make as the Lamb of God, the perfect man, fully man, but fully God, who would give his life, in place of ours, who would pay the penalty for our sin, our sins being forgiven through the blood of Christ. Now we talk about the blood of Christ because now what that means is that Jesus fully surrendered his life. He gave his life completely. Blood was shed. A life was given so that we could now have life in him. Now, in the early church, they had to also contend with an erroneous teaching that said Jesus only came in spirit, he was just a, kind of like a phantom. He was never really came in the flesh. He wasn't really fully man. But we see oftentimes that term, the blood of Christ, meaning that he was in a full body. He, he surrendered his life. He gave up his life fully, sacrificially, so that we could have life in him. His blood was shed so that our sins could be forgiven by which we can now come as a cleansed person before God and have access to God, have relationship with God. We're brought near. When we were once far away, we've been brought near now through the blood of Jesus Christ. How glorious, how wonderful that is for us. So that's the reality of unity, what Jesus has done, but now let's look at the relevance of unity here in verse 14, because it says this. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Now notice, It doesn't say that Jesus brings peace, although that is true, it says that he is peace. The very person of Jesus Christ is our very means of peace. He is our peace. Peace is not found in a system or in conformity one with another, peace is found in a person. It's found in Jesus Christ who is made, notice this, who has made both one there in verse 14. He's made both one. Who's he talking about? Paul's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. See, up until this time, anyone that wanted to be brought into the blessings and the privileges of God, well, they would need to convert to Judaism. You'd have to become a Jew to say, I want what's, what God's given out. Okay, then become a Jew. I mean, the, the whole circumcision thing too, like said, applied to, or can we skip that part, right? But they'd have to convert to Judaism to do that. The first Christians were all Jews, and they still saw themselves as a separated people. They shared the good news with other Jews and they still saw the Gentiles as that unclean bunch. It was a bit of a, a conundrum they were in in the, in the early church. But then when reports started kind of being spread that Gentiles were receiving the spirit and something significant was happening, well it brought confusion and, and, and conflict to the Jews and they debated over how Gentiles can be saved. What does that mean? How, how do they need to come into Do they need to convert to Judaism or was God doing a new thing now? Thankfully, they saw that God was doing a new thing. They didn't put any other restrictions on the Gentiles in order to be saved except certain things like just stay pure, right? Be holy, be cleansed, don't, don't drink blood and, and, and abstain from sexual immorality. Obviously good things, right? So they didn't put them under the law. They didn't put them under other restrictions in a sense. They said, Okay, God's doing something new here. And that's what Paul is saying. Through the work of Christ, we don't we don't have Jewish Christians. We don't have Gentile Christians. We don't have Canadian Christians, American Christians. We might have good looking Christians and non no, we don't we, we just have good looking Christians now we're in Christ. There's no distinction, there's no divisions, there's nothing like that any longer because we're all one in Christ. He's made both one, no matter your background or your experience, you are a new creation now in Christ. And notice what Paul says, I love that at the end of verse 14, he's broken down the middle wall of separation. The middle wall of separation. Now, There was a physical reality to that. The temple in Jerusalem was built with a three to four foot high wall which ran through the court and separated the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the inner court around the temple. So they were separated, right? Only Jews were permitted past this dividing wall. Archeologists in 1871 uncovered the inscription on the wall and it said this, no foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who's caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Any Gentile that went past that wall, execution was their fate. Remember when Paul was, was coming in there, some people thought he was bringing a Gentile with them, and they just went after him. They thought he was breaking the law, and, and, and death must come now as a result. It was a serious thing. Now, this wall in the temple in the temple itself was still standing as Paul is writing this. It would soon be demolished, nevertheless, I believe Paul has something further or greater in mind here, something I believe he mentions next. Look at verse 15. I think this begins to clear it up here, this middle wall of separation. He says, verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. See, I believe it was the law of commandments that kept people at bay from God that that put up this wall of separation between man and God. The law, you see, could never make you righteous. It just revealed your unrighteousness. But Jesus came as the only righteous and sinless one and he abolished the law in his flesh, meaning, again, he died on a cross so that he could be the way to righteousness rather than the law. Understand that. For us to be right with God today, it's not by your works, it's not by you proving yourself, it's not by you doing good or being a good person, those are great things, I hope you you are, but those things will never bring you to God. They'll never make you right with God. It's only through Jesus and what he did, it's his righteousness, and we keep falling back oftentimes to works, and we talked about that last week. Works and effort, when it's by grace. Through faith. That not of yourselves. It's the work of God lest anyone should boast. He's done it all for us. Now this word abolished, it means rendered inoperative or nullified. Enmity means opposition. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross as your substitute nullifies now the opposition of the law that condemns you. See what you can never achieve in your own righteousness, you can now receive in and through Christ's righteousness. He's done it all for us. Now, this wasn't just something the Gentiles needed. This was something the Jews needed too. This was a word for the Jews as well. They needed to recognize that they weren't right with God just because they had the law, just because they were circumcised, just because they'd been brought in the covenants of God. They weren't any more right with God than the Gentiles were. They needed a further work. They needed the work of Jesus Christ. The law, you see, was just to lead them to Christ. The law was simply to show, okay, some people will say, why, was, why did God give the law to them if they knew they couldn't up, uh, uphold it? Well, the law was given to keep them as a nation pure and separate so they wouldn't be defiled, so they wouldn't be corrupted by other nations because God was gonna be bringing the Messiah through. He wanted the the word of God to be preserved to this nation. So God gave them the law which put various restrictions and boundaries on. The law is good, right? It just reveals though that we can't obtain to righteousness through it. The law then was to do a work for them presently in preserving them, keeping them safe for the work of God. But then the law was ultimately to lead them to Christ as it revealed that the law couldn't save them or make them more righteous. They needed more. And that came in and through Jesus Christ. It points us to Jesus and our need for him. He's the one that came and fulfilled the law perfectly. It's all found in him. So this is not just about the Jews now accepting the Gentiles into their fold. This is about these two new groups coming and forming a new man, the church. Ultimately, look at what William McDonald says. He writes this, the church is new in the sense that it is a kind of organism that never existed before. It is important to see this. the New Testament church is not a continuation of the Israel of the Old Testament. It is something entirely distinct from anything that has preceded it or that will ever follow it. This should be apparent from the following. First of all, it is new that a Gentile should have equal rights and privileges with a Jew. It is new that both Jews and Gentiles should lose their national identities by becoming Christians. It is new that Jews and Gentiles should be fellow members of the body of Christ. It is new that a Jew should have the hope of reigning with Christ instead of being a subject in his kingdom. It is new that a Jew should no longer be under the law. So this is this new work God's doing. He's not just kind of fixing this old system. He's bringing in a new way, a new way through his body, through his life, through who he is and what he's done for us to where we can now experience peace because he is, is our peace. Verse 16 goes on to say, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Both people groups here needed to be reconciled to God and there's only one way for that to be achieved. That was through the cross, through putting our our faith and trust in Jesus. The cross, you see, becomes a great turning point for all of humanity. Reconciliation to God can only happen when a person acknowledges now their need for Jesus. When they accept the fact that their sin causes death, but yet Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for that death, and we put our trust in his work, we can now be forgiven, accepted, and reconciled to a right relationship with God. It's so good, that's the good news right there. See, when we understand that our sin caused us to be in opposition to God, that that term enmity, to be like enemies to God, that we were lost apart from, yet he did all the work in saving us and bringing us near, then, then we should be running to the cross. Like I said, the cross is the great turning point for all of humanity. Jew and Gentile were not just to live in a new peace, they were to live as one new man, one body, the church with Christ as the head now. They were all to be looking at Jesus, following Jesus, seeing Jesus govern and direct them now as a new people. And that wasn't a, about having a peace that would override their differences. This was about recognizing that their differences were now removed and they were one in Christ. The peace of Christ overcomes other divisions as well, such as inequality between men and women or between different social groups. Wherever there's injustice, envy, or exploitation, Jesus invites us all to make peace with God and with one another. See, we're no longer divided by our race or sex, or education or status, we're, we're united by faith in Christ now today. That's what he's accomplished for us. Verse 17 and 18, we'll finish up with these two verses. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So we saw in verse 14 that Jesus is our peace. We've seen in verse 15 that he made peace. But now we see in verse 17 that Jesus also preached peace. He preached it, he made it known. He wanted all people to hear this good news and know that this can be their peace now. You wanna experience peace? Then simply come to Jesus. And he want all people to hear that. He preached it to you who were afar off. Who's that? The Gentiles. He preached it to those that were near, who's that? The Jews, but understand, they all need to hear it. They all need to receive it for themselves. Everyone needs to hear this message of hope, the reconciling reality that we can experience, peace today. And and not just some kind of peace and feeling good, but it's, it's peace with God. It's to know that our, our sins have been atoned for, not just covered, but they've been removed, we've been forgiven, we've been brought in now as a new creation, a new life, and, and we can have this relationship with God now. That brings us into peace with Him. Romans chapter 5, verse one and two says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This peace here is made known through having access to the Father. That's how we know, because we're invited in now. We can have a relationship with God. We don't come in trembling, fearful, and hiding ourselves going, God, are we good? Are we okay? Will you accept me? It's like we have peace where we can have come in boldly now, Hebrews tells us, to the throne of grace, where we find help in time and need. Here in Romans, it, it, we're, we're being told that, that we have access by faith into this grace. We can come now and enjoy relationship with God because peace has been made. Reconciliation has been accomplished. Remember the the Gentiles, they had that wall once separating them from going into the temple, but the Jews also, they had a veil that blocked them from going into the very holy of holies, the very place that God said he'll meet with his people. Only one person could go in there, the high priest, and that only one day of the year, the Day of Atonement. The Jews had that veil, but when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn from top to bottom. The way was made open for all people now to have access to God. That's how we know we have peace, is because God has invited us in now. And I pray that we're doing just that. And notice what, I love what, what Paul writes here. for Verse 18, for through him, Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. What is Paul doing here? He's bringing the whole Trinity into this here now. The very Trinity that operates in complete unity is at work unifying us. Romans eight fifteen and 16 says, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom you cry out now, Abba Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And what does that mean? Ephesians 2 or 3, 12, in whom now we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Oh, I pray that we understand the great work that Jesus has done and accomplished for us, not only in, in, in making us one. Oh, I pray that we are fighting less and, and unifying. I'm thankful that we don't see it here, but what I do see within Christendom is that Christians can be so quick to point the finger, to look at faults in other people, instead of just simply looking at what does unify us. I'm not saying unify when there's not that standard of truth. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about stop, you know, being nitpicky over, well, they don't think like us, they don't talk like us, they don't, and, and, and finding reasons to come against one. Let's understand that Jesus died so that we could become one new man. One body together in Christ, with Christ as the head. And because that we now have peace, may we live in peace. May we not be making war. May we be experiencing peace and we know and have that peace because we've been invited in with access to the Father. The more that we spend with the Father, the more that we spend in communion with him, the more that we're gonna live in unity and grace with one another, I believe. I pray that that might be the reality for us. Amen? Worship team, come up, let's close with just a song, and these are meant to be times just to take this word to heart now and ask the Father. Say, God, what, what do you need to do in my life? What areas is there in me? Have I been rigid and hard? Have I been, have I been obstructing unity? Maybe, maybe you're looking at yourself going, I, I've not been experiencing peace. And a lot of that peace comes because your sins have not been dealt with and you are not been experiencing the peace of God. That can happen in a heartbeat, in a moment today, by you simply recognizing your sin, your separation from God, and recognizing that God sent his son Jesus down a cross to forgive you of your sin. That if you simply call to him and say, I confess I'm a sinner but Jesus I need you to forgive me. I need you to be my savior. I need you to come into my life and, and, and make me new and bring me peace and reconcilia- reconciliation. If you simply pray that, you can be new today. You can become a child of God. You can know this peace that he has for you. And I encourage you, if, if you don't know that today, don't wait. Don't put it off. Come to Jesus today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the work you've done. We thank you for your word here today. And for your promises, your truth, Lord, the peace we have in you. You've unified us together. And I pray that we'd walk in unity. And I pray that we would, Lord, be those that are coming often to you, spending time with you, and experiencing just this great peace and life in you. Lead us today, Lord. Draw us closer to you. And our need for you, we pray in your name. Amen.